Thank you, Helen, and your team for leading us in worship tonight. And I just really appreciate so much um, your sensitivity to the leading of the Spirit in, in these services that we've enjoyed together. And thank you to all of you who are, who've come out tonight. The, these types of evenings allow us a little bit more intimacy in the Lord and uh, the opportunity to minister to one another. And I look forward, uh, I'm uh, really uh, anticipating that uh, God is going to do something pretty special. Uh, tonight, as you have an opportunity to uh, be vessels of God's blessing to one another. Isaiah 40, 27 says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Let me begin this evening by asking, where do you find your hope? And I know every single person here probably knows the right answer. The right answer is Jesus, right? It's always Jesus. But let me ask you this. Is Jesus the only source of your hope? Do you also find hope in your own strength and in your own ability? Here's a question for those of us who are older. Do you find it disheartening when you find that you can't do the things that you used to be able to do? You, here's a question for the younger crowd. Do you ever get disillusioned when you discover that you're not as invincible as you think you are? <laughs> Where have you placed your hope? Do you place it, do you place any of it in your own strength and in your own abilities? I like what the prophet says here, that even youths grow tired and weary, and even young men stumble and fall. But those who hope, those who wait, those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. Now, this is counterintuitive to our thinking. We like to be in control. We like to take matters into our own hands. I had a very interesting experience last night as I was getting ready for the service. I met with Curtis, the sound man. Tonight it's Daryl, but last night it was Curtis. Let, let me uh, tell you something. The sound man is the preacher's best friend. The sound man and the preacher always should get along, right? Because without the sound man, the preacher is pretty much toast. And so Curtis was getting me set up last night with this microphone, and I was telling him that I'll just turn on the microphone when it's time to preach, and Curtis says, no, 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 I've got this. He says, it's already turned on, and I'll control it from here. 
And I said, well, I'll save the battery and I'll just turn it on when I, when I need it. And he said, it's already on and you won't be able to turn it off. And I tried and he was right. It has this little button here. I turned it on and off and the light stayed on. And then Curtis said something that really caught my attention. He said, these microphones are preacher proof. As if to say, he didn't use these words, but it was as if to say, I've got the controls and there's nothing that you can do to mess it up. Now, Curtis and Daryl, I absolutely trust you. You're in control. I realize I'm in good hands. But if you start to see a few nervous twitches, you'll realize what a control freak I am. I'm just a little afraid I could go somewhere and can't really control the having it on or off. I'm not used to having matters taken completely out of my own hands. I can envision a whole new industry developing here. Preacher-proof microphones. Preacher-proof communion sets. <laughs> I, I uh, have to admit, I, I read this article one time by William Willimon, who is a, a prominent Methodist bishop, and he was saying that a preacher couldn't really appreciate the full meaning of the Lord's Supper until he or she had actually prepared the communion elements himself or herself. And so for my contribution, I read this article, I thought, I gotta try this. And I decided to make some gluten-free communion wafers. And they tasted all right, it was a Saturday afternoon and I was home and making these and it tasted all right, right out of the oven. And I think they must have still been warm when I put them in the Ziploc bags and then into the freezer for overnight. I wanted them to be really fresh. And I served them up the next uh, morning, Sunday morning, and something must have happened to them overnight because at 3 o'clock that, that Sunday afternoon, I got a call from one of my parishioners telling me that he was finally able to get the wafer down. <laughs> I, I didn't tell, tell him that I'd made them. But I admitted, yeah, they were kind of chewy, weren't they? And he says, yeah, it was like eating a bread-flavored jujube. <laughs> well, I see a market for the industry, not, not for Gary Bennett's gluten-free communion wafers, but, but for preacher-proof communion wafers. Who knew that one could actually mess up communion wafers? Preacher-proof Communion wafers, preacher-proof microphones, who knows what else we could make preacher-proof. I'm just grateful that Daryl hasn't turned me off by now. But I do like to be in control. And I find it difficult sometimes to relinquish that control. But I've discovered something in my years of life and ministry that as long as I try to keep things in my own control and in my own hands, as long as I strive in my own strength, I never find that renewed hope that the Lord has in store for me. He needs to be the only source, the only object of my hope. And I'm still learning this. And that's why I'm drawn to the story of Jacob in the book of Genesis. 
You know, God had a destiny marked out for Jacob from the very beginning. And it's interesting to to note that God can give you a great destiny and he can give you a great calling. But if you go out to fulfill that destiny and fulfill that calling in your own strength and in your own way, even though you might think you're doing the will of God, you're going to make a big mess of things. As long as you are trying to keep control and trying to keep matters in your own hands and relying on your own strength and devices to make it happen, you will never experience the renewed hope that he so desires to bring to you. Those who hope in the Lord, those who wait upon the Lord, those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. Henry Nouwen, he was a Jesuit priest who taught theology at Harvard University, a very prestigious job. He gave up that prestigious post there to minister to a community of disabled adults in Toronto, and he lived in community there with them. And he really found what he would have said was, was the calling of his life in, in that, living in that community. And God did some pretty amazingly deep things in him and through him. I love his writings. Not long before his death, he, he wrote a book called uh, Sabbatical Journeys. And in that book, he, he writes about some of his friends who were, who were trapeze artists in the circus. They were called the Flying Rudellas. And one thing they told Henry Nouwen is that there's this special relationship between the flyer and the catcher. Well, you can imagine that very, very special relationship of trust between the flyer and the catcher. The flyer is the one who lets go, and the catcher is the one who catches. And as you might imagine, the relationship is very important, especially to the flyer. And when the flyer is swinging high above the crowd on the trapeze, the moment comes when he has to let go. And he arcs out into the air, And his job is to remain as still as possible and to wait for the strong hands of the catcher to pluck him up out out of the air. The trapeze artist told Henry Nouwen, he said, uh, the flyer must never try to catch the catcher. The flyer must wait in absolute trust not with his arms flailing around in panic. The flyer must wait in absolute trust. The catcher will catch him. But he must wait, keeping as still as possible. Isn't that a beautiful picture of absolute trust? A great picture of what it means to be still and to know that he is God. Well, Jacob was a striver. He was a conniver. He was a heel grasper. And it started even before he was born. His mother, Rebecca, was pregnant with twin boys, and they were fighting with each other from the very beginning. Imagine this, slugging it out, kicking each other while they're still in their mother's womb. (laughs) I, I can only imagine. Even before they're born, God speaks to Rebekah, and he he spells out the plan, the destiny, that contrary to tradition, God's 
plan revealed to Rebekah would be that the older son would serve the younger son. And so Esau comes out first and then Jacob. And Esau grew up to be this burly, hairy, hunter-gatherer type guy, a real delight to his father Isaac. He was clearly Isaac's favorite. And Jacob was more the homebody. He was uh, a mama's boy who loved to cook and garden. And Rebekah, remembering that God had told her that the younger son Jacob would serve would be served by the older son, she schemed and she plotted with Jacob on, on how they could manipulate and deceive Father um, Isaac into giving the blessing that was reserved for the older son. And uh, I'm sure Rebecca and Jacob must have thought, you know, we're doing the Lord's work here. You know, and this is the destiny that we are called to fulfill. We're following God's plan here. We're just helping fulfill God's destiny for Jacob. We're just, you know, grabbing what God has promised, what he wants for us. But they did it through deception and manipulation and human striving. And as a result of that, the relationships in the family became totally dysfunctional. They totally disintegrated to the point that Jacob knew that his father Isaac and his brother, brother, Jake, uh, brother Esau were so angry with him that it wouldn't be safe for him to stay at home any longer. Isaac's health at the time was failing and he was coming to the end of his life. And Esau had decided in his heart as soon as dad dies, he, he thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill my brother Jacob. So Jacob realizes this, and he flees. And he finds himself in the middle of nowhere with only the clothes on his back. And we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 28, uh, verses 10 through 22. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are living, lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I re 
return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Someone asked me last night, how do you know that the God you are following is not a God of your own making? That's a pretty profound question, isn't it? How do you know that the God you are following is not a God of your own making? There's a... We've been spending the last couple of services yesterday talking really about our view of God and how these misperceptions of who God is can really serve to, as, as a form of idolatry. There's a direct correlation between our spiritual health, between our uh, well-being, between uh, that renewed sense of hope that God wants for us. There's a direct correlation between that and the picture we have in our minds of who God is. If we have a faulty concept of who God is, we're messed up. And that's why I really want to spend my life's, whatever's left of my life's time and energy, letting people know who God really is. Jacob's view of God was all messed up. I would imagine that, um, you know, to him, God must have been a huge disappointment. You can imagine that Jacob would have had the, been entertaining some thoughts like, you know, God, you promised me. You know, I was supposed to get this blessing, and look at me now. My family hates me, and I'm in the middle of nowhere, but with nothing but the clothes I'm wearing, and it's dark, and I've got, all I've got for a pillow is this rock. Now, the reason I know that he has nothing but the clothes he's wearing is because, you know, when I've gone out backpacking, I don't take a pillow with me, but I take a stuff sack, and I take all the extra clothes that I have, and I put them in the stuff sack, and that's my pillow. I don't use a rock. He, he had nothing. He uses a rock for his pillow. And so you know that he's out in the middle of nowhere in the dark with nothing but the clothes he's wearing and all he's using a pillow for a rock, a, a rock for a pillow. And God doesn't answer Jacob right then because Jacob is still in this kind of a striving mode. He's fighting and complaining with God and flailing something that he had been doing ever since he was in his mother's womb. And God knew that Jacob wasn't quite ready to listen. And so God just waited until Jacob stopped running and he stopped flailing and Jacob drifts off to sleep. Finally, God has him where he wants him. The defenses are down, the resistance has stopped. And God is able to speak to Jacob through a dream. And there's this stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to the heaven. And on this stairway, there are angels ascending and descending. And above the stairway stood the Lord. I'd like for you to get this picture in your mind because it may not be a complete picture, but it is a significant piece of the puzzle in helping you to see who God really is. It's a picture of God himself, a stairway that reaches 
from the earth to the heaven, and God the Father is standing on the top, and angels are ascending and descending. Interesting, the order there. Ascending and descending. First of all, they're connecting. Connecting with you to assess your needs and your desires for this moment and for this day. And once they've assessed what you need, then they ascend to the heavens. And they take these needs to the Lord. And in response, the Lord gives his angels, these messengers, these messages, and they take them down back down to you. Now, when I was meditating on this passage, there was a phrase that came to me from an old hymn that I learned as a child, and it's, it's the phrase, angels descending bring from above. And uh, do you know what the next phrase, any of you know that, what the next phrase is? Do you know what hymn it is? Goes, angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. It's the Blessed Assurance uh, by Fanny Crosby. Uh, it was driving me crazy for a long time. <laughs> Where is that? Where is that? And, and I found it. And uh, there are lines that come from that hymn, Blessed Assurance by Fanny Crosby, who was at the time of the most prolific hymn writer. She would have been, I don't know, the Darlene Zesh of her day, Matt Redman. I could say Ralph Carmichael or Bill Gaither of her day. <laughs> you get the picture. But um, an interesting fact about Fanny Crosby is that she was blind. And yet she had this keen, um, heightened spiritual vision. And with that vision, she, she saw this picture of this stairway to heaven and with these angels who had already ascended and now were descending, bringing down to God's people those messages, those echoes of mercy and those whispers of love. Angels ascending and descending on the stairway, taking your needs to the Lord, bringing back to you, imagine this, bringing back to you the exact messages that you need to hear. Echoes of mercy and whispers of love. So get that picture in your mind. A stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Can you see it? Could you use an echo of mercy or a whisper of love for today? I mean today, not tomorrow, but for today. Could you use an, an echo of mercy or and or a whisper of love? The reason I say today is because God's mercies are new every morning. And the prophet Jeremiah knew from personal experience that in the midst of 
hard times that God's great love and his compassions, his mercies never failed. We read that in his Lamentations where he says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed because his compassions, his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I wonder which one you could use. Could you use like an echo of mercy like um, we shared last night from Isaiah 40 verses 1 and 2 where the prophet says, Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Have you been thinking about that since last night? That whole concept, the fact that he repays you double for all your sins? Think about all your sins. It's something you have to do on your own. God's not able to help you in that because he says he's forgotten them. As far as remove them, as far as the east is from the west. But think about all of the devastating impact of the sins that you have committed and the sins that have maybe have been committed toward you. And to think that the Lord is there to repay that double. Think of it. What an echo of mercy that is. What about a whisper of love? Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord, your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. This stairway to heaven with angels ascending and descending. Now notice that God did not instruct Jacob to climb the stairway. It's the angel's job to do that. We used to sing around the campfire, we are climbing Jacob's ladder. I don't know if you even know that song, but we're not climbing Jacob's ladder. The angels are. You know, we kind of turn it into, you know, we are climbing Jacob's ladder, and I think it's soldiers of the cross. Every rung goes higher, higher. But we're not climbing Jacob's ladder. That, that indicates some kind of level of, of, of striving, of, of trying to reach God in some way. The, the old hymn writers, Led Zeppelin, put it this way, and she's buying the stairway to heaven. I'm told that that's the song that is played before they close the bars. I don't know that. <laughs> I'm just told that. This, this is really not a picture of striving whatsoever. There's no striving. There's no flailing here. No running up the stairs like uh, Rocky Balboa on the stairs of the Philadelphia Museum. No human efforts being expended. The angels are doing all the work. So this is, not, this is really not the stairway to heaven. This is the stairway from heaven. And the stairway to heaven is man-made. 
It represents human striving. The classic example is the example in Genesis 11 where we see the ugly story of the Tower of Babel where they said in, in Genesis 11, verse 4, they said, come, let's build a, ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. That's, that's a classic picture of human striving, this insatiable appetite that we all have to try to reach God and in the process make a name for ourselves. And throughout the centuries, people have constructed all kinds of stairways to heaven, whether it be the five pillars of Islam or steps to God or, or Buddhism's eightfold path to enlightenment, steps to God. And I have to admit, in Christianity, we've, we've manufactured quite a few of our own stairways and our own steps to take and the hoops that we make people jump through. A while back, I was watching some Christian television in Cheryl hates it when I do that. <laughs> On this particular program, they were trying to raise some money, and so the man says, he says, I'm believing God for a thousand people to each give a thousand dollars. And if you call in the next 18 minutes, we've got people standing right now by the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, and this is the first time it's ever been done, but we've got permissions from the authorities to put your name in one of the cracks in the Wailing Wall, and we're going to have Pastor so-and-so come with his prayer shawl, and he's going to come, and he's going to pray a blessing over all your names, but you've got a call in the next 18 minutes. Here they're hawking a blessing of God as if it were a set of knives or on the home shopping network. That's why this picture of the stairway from heaven is so important because it's a stairway of grace. It's not a way to try to ascend to God and get the blessing through some important people. It's a stairway from God, chosen by God, in sheer grace, where he comes down into nowhere places, where messed up and broken people, sheerly by grace, he comes to you. You don't go to him. He comes all the way and stands right over you and gives you his unconditional love. I've been uh, preaching all of these messages from the Old Testament. Sometimes I hear from people, and they say, I'm really not into the God of the Old Testament. I'm more into the God of the New Testament. I didn't realize they were two different gods. They really aren't. Some say, well, you know, I'm more into a God of grace than a God of the law. And in reality, I know that no one reaches God by keeping the law. I recognize that. But the law can really be an expression of God's grace to us. You know, we sing the song, um, Holy and Anointed One, Jesus, your name is like honey on my lips. If you read the scriptures, I think that's out of Psalm 119. It's really... Your law is like honey on my lips. But that's not quite as palatable to sing that today, is it? 
The incredible thing is that Jesus often comes, and when he speaks of himself, he informs a lot of these beautiful stories that we read in the, in the Old Testament of his grace. And in this situation, he does exactly that. He informs this story, and he gives definition to God's revelation of himself through this story. This is one that almost tingles my spine. Right at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, he's calling his disciples to follow him, and he comes across a young man by the name of Nathaniel. And as Jesus sees him coming, he says the most incredible thing. And, and, and while he sees Nathaniel coming, he must have been thinking about Jacob because he's thinking about this story of the stairway, to, stairway from heaven. And as Jesus sees Nathanael coming, he must have been thinking about Jacob and how full of guile Jacob had been, this striving, conniving, manipulative, scheming, deceitful person called Jacob. And, and Jesus sees Nathanael coming toward him, and he says in John chapter 1, verse 47, it says, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Another translation says, in whom there is no guile. And then, right after that, Jesus says this in John chapter 1, verse 50. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. Listen to what he says in verse 51. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Wow. What an incredible picture. It almost blows my mind. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He says, I didn't come to tell you the steps that you need to take to get to heaven. He says, I came to be the steps. I didn't just come to say what the steps were. I came to be the steps. I didn't come to show you the stairway. I came to be the stairway. John 1:51 I tell you the truth you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man That's good news That's great news That's good news for the few of us who are here this evening who like Nathaniel are without guile and it's certainly great news for most of us here who, like Jacob, are full of guile. It's good news for the thousand people who can each give a thousand dollars. And it's good news for those who have to use a rock for a pillow. And it's good news for those who come to worship God with a great sense of expectancy, all fired up to encounter God. And it's Good news for those who find themselves surprised when he actually shows up. I love that verse in Genesis 28 where, in 16 where Jacob awoke from his sleep and he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. 
and I wasn't even aware of it. So this evening, don't just do something. Sit there. Stop resisting. Stop flailing. Cease striving. Be still and know that he is God. You don't have to climb the steps. Jesus is the stairway. And he's here to meet you. And he is the link to God the Father, the gate of heaven. And the angels are ascending and descending on him, bringing you echoes of mercy and whispers of love. I'm going to ask us to do something, and maybe it's a little bit out of your comfort zone, but I hope not too much. But um, I um, want to give you an opportunity to be a vessel of blessing to one another tonight. This won't take very long. I have these uh, little pieces of paper here. And on the front uh, part of it, I have the blessing of the Lord from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And then on the back, I've listed uh, a couple of echoes of mercy, uh, verses that speak of God's mercy and a couple of verses that speak of God's love. And so what I want to do is uh, I want you to just be still until you receive the blessing. And then once you receive a blessing, then you uh, come and pick up one of these sheets and then you go to bless someone else. I'm going to start with Pastor Stewart and I'm going to bless him. And then the two of us will go and We'll bless two people, and then the four people will bless another four, and it won't take very long. Eight to bless eight, 16, 32. We'll be probably done by then. <laughs> um, but um, I, I've, I've geared it so that uh, it won't be embarrassing for you whatsoever. Everything's written here. And even if you don't know um, the name of the person, um, I'm just going to ask you, the way you do this is you say, how do you spell your name? <laughs> and then that kind of gets you off the hook a little bit. And so um, you need, there are some pens up here. And, I, and because you, I want you to, to speak this blessing to the person by name, face to face. And um, so, Stuart, if you just come up here and... How, how do you spell your name? S T U S. This pen will work. Here. There we go. I got it. S T U A R T. A -R -T. Now, do you need um, an echo of mercy or a whisper of love, or do you want one of each? I want one of each. One of each. <laughs> Here it is. Here's an echo of mercy. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And you wanted a whisper of love as well? <laughs> the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. 
He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Stuart, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And you give that blessing to that person. They keep it. And then you come and get a blank one and bless someone else. 